Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Vedran Sindrich, founder of Treble. If you ever wanted to integrate with another software or you had to use an existing integration or you are building various front ends like web front end or mobile apps, or if you're using microservices, you definitely had to deal with APIs. This episode is for founders and product managers with basic or no technical background and dives into APIs, how they work, what their challenges are, and how your developers can be supported building them. Uh, Vedran, welcome to the show. Hi, Victor. Thank you for having me. And uh, hello to everyone uh, joining in uh, the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and, of course, your, your business, Treble? I've been a full stack developer for the past 10 years. I've kind of started developing early on, uh, really like it, really adore it. Uh, and we, together with my current co-founder, we used to run uh, a web development company here from Zagreb, Croatia. We worked with clients all around the world and kind of in the middle of that got uh, out of our own need and necessity, I would say, we, we got the idea for Treble. It really started helping us and we kind of turned it into a product and uh, managed to actually raise an investment for that. Uh, so in an essence, uh, you know, some of our fancy marketing terms are Treble uh, helps you stay in tune with your API, but at the end of the day, we make it super, super easy to understand what's going on with your APIs and the apps that use them. So that's in a nutshell what Treble is. That is, of course, super relevant to our current topic. So this is awesome. I want to dive into how you started this business a bit on the side before we dive into this topic as well. So you already mentioned you were running a software house, uh, building software for clients, classic model from a very beautiful location, got to admit, right close to the sea, one of my favorite holiday destinations. So, you know, where you said, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to drop by uh, one day. I have a beer with your name on it here in the office. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, you are essentially building software for clients and you are as a software house collaborating with a lot of stakeholders. You know, I guess, you know, the client, obviously. And who else? So basically, uh, when you do development for 10 years, you kind of tend to work in all imaginable situations. So, of course, the cleanest cut would be to, uh, let's say you, you are the one who's developing everything from the platform, APIs, mobile apps, any kind of front end or, or, or back end that you might be using. But in a lot of cases, you know, uh, you work alongside with a team of people because, you know, a client wants to use a different uh, skill than you have, et cetera, et cetera. So we often find ourselves mostly actually interacting with people who refuse to do uh, native apps. So we, our thing and my thing personally is I'm a strong believer, believer in native Swift and Android apps. So, you know, build them with Java, build them with Swift, respect the ecosystem, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, our clients uh, kind of liked how we worked, but not that part. So they always chose us to essentially, uh, in a lot of cases, build platforms. So they would come us, uh, come to us with an idea. Here's what we want to build. Here's uh, you know what we want to have. In the end, we would kind of build it all out. We would design everything from the database down to uh, the actual apps. But somebody else would tend to do uh, mobile apps in, I don't know, Flutter and in uh, React Native or whatnot, right? And when you're interacting with these various people, it was mostly, uh, you know, 
we're in Croatia, somebody else is in New York, um, somebody might be India, somebody might be some somewhere like Sydney, Australia, which is, it gets pretty crazy when you work uh, all, or, all around if, the world. If you and care so, about your sleep schedule. Yeah. yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that, that's and, it. and if you have, if you want to have a life, a uh, happy fiance or something like that. Uh, so well, such yeah, a luxury. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically it gets uh, uh, really complicated really fast, especially if the other uh, team members are, I would say, let's say, lacking in knowledge. So if they are maybe less, uh, you know, versatile in what you're trying to do and what they're building, uh, there might be problems. So we would often actually find ourselves in a situation where, let's say, we would make an API today and we would send the documentation for integration to the guys in the US. They would start, I don't know, 6 p.m. our time they would hit a roadblock or at least they would think they hit a roadblock because they weren't sure what they were doing. And basically they would wait for us to answer a question for like eight hours. And of course, uh, everybody, or even, you know, 12 hours, uh, in some cases, 24 hours. And of course, if you have clients, they're very angry uh, and they don't know who uh, to direct the anger at, either you or them or both of you. So we kind of started actually thinking in a direction how can we help those guys answer their own questions, right? If they see what they're doing, they, they don't have to wait for us or me to get, tell them, hey, you sent something incorrectly or you, you didn't even request it or you're using a wrong URL or you, your variable isn't sent as you, as you think. So that, that was the basic idea. Let's try to basically democratize APIs, right? Allow everybody who's working with the API that we've built to see that everybody from mobile developers, uh, the CEO, his product team, uh, anybody. And that's how we essentially started. And we actually, because we couldn't get the product to scale at the beginning, uh, we I would uh, turn it on while I was awake and turn it off before I would go to sleep so it doesn't crash the API. Uh, so uh, until we figured that out, people would use it in that period. And as soon as we kind of deployed it, I, I reclaimed probably like, two hours a day of my time just answering questions that, that I mentioned uh, before. So it, it instantly helped us. They, everybody liked it, and we uh, continue to build more and more features. I do love uh, your marketing lingo, though. Democratize APIs. I'm, I'm sure that this is what convinced investors on the pitch deck. I, uh, I no, love it. I actually, <laughs> uh, so I actually use the term right now. We didn't use it anywhere else. I came, I, it just came to me because it truly is, uh, you know, I, I, one thing that I did uh, talk about is, you know, the fact that APIs were for so long in the shadows, I would say, and nobody actually knew what an API request looks like. Uh, and now with Treble, they can actually, you know, feel something, see something, see what anybody, everybody else is doing and can actually understand, oh yeah, okay, this guy just created an account. Here is a reflection of that. Here is actually what happened. You wouldn't believe how much clearer everybody is on what actually, who does what, what they're sending, what they're receiving, how, how things are, are working. So, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna dive a bit deeper into how Treble does that exactly and what it does exactly a bit later. But first, I really wanted to um, speak about APIs in general. Now, obviously, there's this one I would say bigger divide on, on APIs, which is um, their their use case, right? Uh, there's there's two of them: there's internal versus external APIs. Would you explain to our audience a bit what the difference here is and, and how they're used? 
Let's start with a definition of an API, right? An API is just a short term for application programming interface. And in, in an essence, what an API is, it, it simply serves as a mechanism to transfer information back and forth between a client and, and the end goal, which is a database. Uh, the world got a bit complicated uh, over the last few years, and, and a client nowadays can mean anything, right? It would it used to be a mobile app. Uh, now it's a website. It's a gaming console. It's your car. It's your smart light bulb. All of these things actually communicate to different internal, uh, in most cases, internal APIs. So, for example, if uh, you have a banking app, they use their own internal API, which in most cases isn't exposed to anybody else except the people who built the app, the bank, or and their developers. On the other hand, you have uh, uh, this new, I would say, trend of actually building companies on top of APIs, and that's where external APIs uh, come in handy. So essentially, you're building let's say again, a new kind of bank and you want everybody to be able to write clients for your bank. So basically you, Victor, could write an Android uh, app using that client, uh, using that API. I can write an iOS, somebody can write something else. So essentially uh, the idea is the same, it's just the use case is a bit different. And I think more and more people are actually starting to, to expose their APIs to the world and are building actually these open uh, external APIs. Yeah, very true. I think most people really only think about external APIs when they think of APIs. And to maybe give a give an example, you mentioned banking, right? So PayPal, everybody knows PayPal. So their own mobile app would be using an internal API. Nobody can replace this mobile app by their own client. But if you write an integration with them, right, integrate them in your store or, or something like that, then use their external API. And I guess kind of the, the point here is, obviously, there's badly documented external APIs as well, but we're, let's face it, let's be honest, the documentation just isn't so good is usually within the internal APIs because nobody's using them apart from ourselves and suddenly, exactly. you know, somebody else <laughs> has to use them, right? Exactly. That's 100% true. I've probably in the past four months, I've used probably like 20 APIs and there's always a surprise, right? You can always expect something different and that's just the name of the game, right? Developers are are not necessarily meant to to be great, uh, uh, I would say, writers and, and poets, if you will, and somebody who, who can do a structure and, and, and write that efficiently. But I, th- I think at the end of the day, and that's why we kind of started building a feature uh, of Treble uh, that essentially generates documentation automatically and, and if you're a developer, you, you'll never have to write it again. And the reason we started doing that, of course, because I personally hated writing docs just like every other developer. But secondly, and more importantly, the way that APIs are used and developed nowadays is much different than what it was before. Uh, so previously, you would build an API, either internal or, or external. You would launch it into a, into the world on the internet. And you wouldn't touch it for at least like six months, a year, right? And then you would pile up in those six months a few features. You would roll out those features and that's it. Nowadays, basically, we make... I I made four changes to my API yesterday, right? Today, I'm going to make a few more. And that's just the name of the game, essentially. You're, you're, You're rapidly changing and developing these APIs. And I think the traditional way of documenting simply doesn't make sense anymore. It's, it's, it's less useful, right? Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, the main point here is that, or the main challenge is that if I 
if I change something in my frontend, in my software, uh, which is also an interface, it's a human interface, then people are, usually but not always, uh, that's why we still need support teams, fairly smart at figuring out where that button went, right? At least I can try. I can try to look where, where the damn button went. Where did they hide it again? I want that feature back. Now, when it comes to, to software, right? My mobile app, or not my mobile app, somebody else's mobile app, uh, if I change the API underneath them, it's just going to break. Everything's going to break. Every client is going to break, which is why versioning is so important. But then you have multiple versions, and this is also something you need to maintain, right? Exactly. So essentially, if you do even the smallest change, and I think probably iOS uh, is the most sensitive one here, if you make the slightest change, even from, I would say, a Boolean to a non-Boolean or an integer to a string, you could crash the app, it wouldn't even load. Depending on what the uh, developer did on the mobile app, you, you might have a very, very bad day. And trust me, I've been on many, many uh, calls uh, uh, when those things happened. And uh, as uh, you know, as somebody who didn't have trouble before and uh, has trouble now, I'm very thankful uh, that I get the insights that, uh, that we essentially provide in those exact uh, cases. Yeah, and it's it's not a joke because uh, then you write a fix for the iOS app and we all know how long it takes for Apple to approve changes. So uh, this can really, really break your business for well, a few days, if not weeks, which is, which is you, tough. Especially if you don't know what's going on, right? Because when something breaks, you nobody on a mobile app or, or on a client, especially a client who doesn't, let's say a, a light bulb, or that doesn't have an interface, right? Somebody has to go in and actually plug something into that and examine that. So you don't know what's going on. The only information that you have is a, a report from somebody who said, I tried it and it doesn't work. You have no idea if the problem is on the API. You have no idea if the problem is uh, on the client, if the, if the problem is bad data, corrupted data in the database or something uh, else. So yeah, it, it's truly uh, something that can mess you up. And if you're a developer who doesn't care, you simply say it works on my machine. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you, if you actually do care, you now face a lot of work to debug this because um, you can't debug it on the client. That's what you just said, right? It's hard. On a browser, if you try to reproduce it yourself, you have a lot of development tools available where you can check. But, you know, if it comes from a client and it doesn't work and you have no idea what they're sending, you have no way of knowing what's happening, especially if it's not your client, it's what somebody else wrote, then you have just no idea what is what is going on. So really, before trouble, what would you do to even debug this? It's going to sound very... Uh... You know, boring, but we used to jump on meetings uh, for like an hour or two where, yeah, we would sit down, we would, you know, somebody would first yell, it's not working again, who needs to fix it? I don't care, you just need to fix it. Then we would try to, of course, replicate that, uh, especially, let's say, when you're dealing with something where a person registers for an account and has to fill out like this big of a form and something doesn't work, right? In, in a lot of cases, that, that just comes bad, uh, down to bad data, but you don't know what they entered, you never saw. So, you know, we tried everything. We tried server logging, which is then only readable to us, or uh, I once was in a very serious meeting with, where there was like a crisis and I gave them the logs and I said, I don't think this happened based on the logs. As you know, the logs don't show you everything. They, it's it's very, I would say, developer focused. Uh, so when you give it to somebody, the the lawyer just said, 
I don't know what this is, right? I, I can't read uh, this log. You could have made this up, right? So logs don't help in real, 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 real world situations, but it's basically comes down to asking somebody who tried it. Can, can we get more info? Uh, what device are they using? Where are they from? You know, what did they try? Let's try describing. Let's try recreating it. Uh, let's try examining the code both on the client and on the web. So usually a lot of lot of work uh, would go by to even detect and fix a small problem. And now let's go back to APIs in, in general again. We, we already examined that there's one use case for internal APIs uh, to build various front ends. But then also um, you have internal APIs because there's another buzzword that's going around for the past two years. And that's called microservices. Uh, would you explain uh, to our audience what, what are microservices and why that involves APIs? Yeah. So let's say, I don't know, the other day we were actually doing a microservice uh, ourselves. So basically, let's say that you have like this really huge, complicated platform. Let's say that, you know, again, let's come back to the banking app. Uh, Banking app has a lot of moving parts, like uh, when you create an account, maybe it sends you an SMS, maybe it sends you an email, it does something in the background that you're not even aware of, maybe creates a, an actual bank account in the background, it, it might fetch information from like a government entity to check who you are, etc, etc. So previously the way that was built, and uh, you know, I, I, I actually am still a, a, a I have to admit, I'm a more fan of monoliths, but I do uh, like uh, uh, microservices to a degree if they're used very well. But basically, you would separate the, this logic into a smaller microservice. So uh, the reason for that is, of course, it's much more easier to maintain, update, uh, fix, etc. But also, if something happens to your main infrastructure, necessarily uh, it, not everything will go down. So let's say that you have a a server or a microservice that essentially just sends SMS messages uh, to confirm your account. If that goes down or, or if there's a bad piece of code in there, it won't crash the rest of the environment, the rest of the service. So you'll still be able to create an account, but you, you simply won't get a, a message. And that's, I think, uh, kind of what the uh, microservice architecture is about, essentially giving, extracting a piece of the, the, the infrastructure, the platform and everything that you're building into its own separate thing. Yeah, it's a bit like whether you're, you're building a mall or a lot of small stores, right? To, to kinda, exactly. It's, uh, if, if something breaks within your mall, let's say, I don't know, uh, the, the doors don't work, the system doesn't work, that, that opens or closes doors or whatever, nobody can get in and can't get anything done. Versus if you, know, you have a street, you have the small buildings left or right, people can move across. But that involves you building a city infrastructure, right? You have plumbing, you have roads, you have public transportation that people can get from one place to another. And this is like a microservice. There's information and data traveling. You know, it's not this one system that does everything, but there's information and data traveling from one to the other. And these are your internal APIs. Essentially, that's what's what's happening here. Yep. And you're multiplying the amount of, uh, uh, you know, things that can go wrong when you're doing that, essentially. It's a beautiful architecture, but it's also something that you have to be monitoring. You have to know, understand what's going on. You have to know how they're behaving, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, there's these early pictures of uh, the, the pictures of early, you know, telephone lines, right? Where you, <laughs> yeah. you, you have like a city that where you have a cord from every building to the, the other, right? Where where you simply have no idea what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, a, a, a badly built microservice can end up much worse than a monolith. Um, exactly. So uh, that that really needs actually building that really needs. Um, let's say it's it's more complex to build in the beginning. It, it has advantages, but you do need to know what you're doing. Let me put it this way: Don't give your junior developers, you know, control and, and the ability to structure your mic- microservice architecture. <laughs> so try <laughs> to get somebody who who has been in the game for a bit longer. <laughs> Yeah, you'll you'll not find a senior who will actually want to maintain that. That's the biggest problem. That's why we 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 again we built Treble because of some of these uh, horror stories, if you will. Okay, so now we know microservices. We know various clients and front ends. They all use APIs. So what's important to build good usable APIs? What should somebody just consider on maybe a checklist? What 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 makes a good API? I recently actually uh, wrote a blog post on it uh, on on our Treble blog, uh, and it's called Ten Rest Commandments. And basically, <laughs> I wrote it because <laughs> I wrote it because it, it it really answers the question that that you kind of uh, asked me. The problem with uh, with with basically APIs is uh, at the end of the day, everybody is co- uh, using I would say an architecture called REST, right? Uh, so you'll you'll hear a term called RESTful APIs, and it's really actually a great architectural I would say pattern or schema to build APIs upon. But the problem is, at the end of the day, it's not a standard. There isn't a standard that you need to comply with. Or if you build an API, you, you can basically run it through something. It will tell you it's a good API or it's a, uh, it's a bad API. There are only, I would say, best practices and tips and tricks that you can follow that are usually made by a bunch of guys who made mistakes before you. So you, you definitely, whenever there are best practices, you definitely want to follow them. But I think uh, off, off top of my head, a good API starts with, uh, I would say, a good structure. And that means everything from naming conventions, uh, including naming the URLs, including naming the actions, using all the HTTP and, uh, verbs that you, that you can actually gracefully uh, failing. By that, I mean, if your API is to fail, then, then try to do it gracefully without actually breaking uh, the entire interface and the app by responding with JSON, by providing really insightful messages for the other end uh, who is receiving uh, th- this API. And above above all, I think most nowadays APIs actually have to be uh, very optimized, very fast. Otherwise, users simply don't wait, right? If you click something on your app and you have to wait for like three minutes, uh, it just simply, uh, nobody's going to wait for that, right? So that that's very, uh, very important. Again, uh, there isn't a standard, but uh, those are uh, some of the best practices that you could follow. So yeah, to follow best practices, to have APIs give back error messages that actually tell a developer what what's happening, and obviously one of the one of the important ones is uh, for as many functions as possible to be idempotent, right? So you because a lot of clients it happens that they send something twice. It's uh, it has to do with you know, buffering or a failing. One of the uh, commandments that I wrote is like, be smart. So 
So your API is like the brains of the entire operation, right? So it has to predict where others will fail and do wrong, and you have to kind of auto-correct for them. You also have to auto-correct for yourself. So try to basically, when you're building an API, try to put as much uh, as you can on the API so that literally all other people involved, like the clients, are just like dumb relays of data, right? And you control the flows, you control the business logic, uh, you control what they get and how they get it. So, yeah. And uh, obviously you want to provide good documentation, I suppose. How do you do that? So previously, like I said, uh, I, I measure time before Treble and after Treble. Uh, so before Treble, uh, we used to write uh, these uh, at the very early stages, it would be like a Google Docs where you would just write uh, what the endpoint is, what uh, it takes, and what it gives out. In more modern times, you would have to probably write API documentation using Open API spec and something called Swagger. And there you can write it in either JSON or JAML. And, and it's just really a lot of time uh, to, to basically spend writing it. But because you have to define everything, right? You have to define everything from uh, what will be, what's the endpoint name? What's the base URL? What authentication are you using? Uh, how is this endpoint going to react? What is uh, the verb that you're using? What data could uh, be returned? What type of data that is? So you have to write all of that down. And we, with Treble, if you have Treble enabled, you don't have to do anything, right? So because we've kind of uh, all been tired of that, we've uh, we've made it so that if you're using Treble, we automatically generate documentation every time you make uh, a request, and we literally save you uh, a lot of time and money on that. So it, it learns from the data and the structure how you're sending it, and maybe somebody. So if somebody didn't send a field in the first request, but then they use another, a new field in the next, you just realize that and add it to the docs. We know that. We know, for example, uh, that might be an update. We keep it in the back burner. If it happens again, we kind of merge that and that becomes the predominant you know, documentation that we expose. We also keep track of every single... So if you start with one documentation and end up with a completely different one, we track everything in between. You, we know exactly how your documentation changed or is changing over time. So we can literally show you, this is what you did that day. This is what, what happened the last day. This is what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we imagine it as a diff log, right? When you go on GitHub and diff code. So basically imagine that uh, simple architecture. That's really cool. I think major parts that a lot of people are maybe not thinking of is testing APIs, which is also very important. So to, to recap, maybe for uh, some people, whenever you, you write code, right, you should you should test. Like there should be something that tests what you do. And there's obviously the differentiation between manual tests and, and automated tests. And I suppose uh, first how you manually test an API is fire up a program called Postman, something like that. You just try to make requests to your API and see if that actually turns out how you want it to. But what's a more sophisticated way of testing APIs? Testing is is probably like the most urban myth in development. <laughs> That's uh, It's like a jetty, right? It, it, you Somebody has seen it, but we're not sure who <laughs> and when. Uh, basically, uh, you could, of course, when you write code, if, uh, if, if you have enough time and if you're a really good and careful, careful we developer. We all do, of course. Yeah, you are. You will write uh, either unit tests or some tests on your code to make sure it doesn't break. 
And again, uh, after you're done with that, you might actually fire up, like you said, uh, in terms of APIs, usually that was Postman for us as well. Like we used Postman a lot. And, you know, the beauty of Postman is it's really cool, but you're the only guy uh, who sees the response and you're the, you're the guy making the test. And if you're a developer and if you created the API, you're going to make a perfect test. That's just a given. You're not going to feed your own API bad, really uh, incorrect data so it breaks. You're going to probably imagine a scenario where there everything is okay. And every time you try it, it's just going to return everything that it's supposed to do. But that's not actually how the real world uh, works, right? Uh, because... A lot of mistakes actually happen during integrations where the clients just simply don't do a good job. The most popular probably thing that could happen is instead of sending an ID, they send undefined or null or empty, right? That's, you're not going to send undefined in Postman, right? Uh, you're going to send an ID. So I would say Postman in terms of testing is like you had like a fire alarm alarm in your house that only uh, alerts you when you've already been robbed. So that's, that's how I would compare it to, right? Uh, you need something that constantly checks and tests everything that, that goes on and notifies you again uh, when something is wrong. So we, we, we used a lot of actually different tools, everything from Postman, from a bug snack, from a lot of these uh, error tracking tools. Uh, we were also very unhappy with those. And we said, you know, there has to be a better way. So that's one of the things that we built into Treble is actually uh, this smart error tracking where we track both code-based errors, but also spike usages. Uh, and even if your API is not responding at all for hours, and we know it used to respond in that period of time, we can notify you and alert you uh, what happens. And more importantly, you get to see what other people are doing. So if, if a problem occurs, Postman cannot help you, right? You would have to call that person. I'll tell them, hey, what did you send to make the problem happen? He, you know, so you'd have to manually type that in into Postman. Uh, here on Treble, you already know what they've sent. You see the data. And uh, we have this thing called one-click testing. So essentially, let's say that you deployed a code base change, then it crashed, right? There was an error. You see that on Treble. You go into the code Treble tells you exactly the line of code. So you go in and fix it. And now you would have to, again, manually type that into Postman to check if, if it's working. And with Treble, you just click one button and Treble is kind of smart enough to know everything about that request, what was sent, what data, what authentication details, what URL, and it goes in and makes old uh, makes the entire request for you. So you click a button, we recreate the, uh, we essentially replay uh, the last uh, request and you're done. That is really awesome. So uh, to explain in a nutshell, as I understand it, so Treble is a bit of like a middleman between, you know, you plug it in between the clients and your API and it just records everything that's going on a bit like a log, but it makes it accessible and visible to everybody, including less technical people. And you have a lot of tools and because we have access to that data, uh, we're able to not only show you the raw data that you uh, you send, we enrich the data, right? So we tell you what the location of the user is. You can even see it on a map immediately. We tell you what device they're using. We can even automatically, without actually having access to the device, tell you what, for example, what iOS version is the client running on, which app version are they using, right? And so on and so forth. So we automatically do these things. And because we have access to the data, 
We know when something is wrong, we can help you recreate the test, we can help you document so you don't have to. And more importantly, I would say in the recent times, we give you valuable analytics, right? So you know when your API is being used the most, or what app version is using it, or whatever client you might have, when, uh, from which cities, etc., etc. And one uh, feature that we've kind of specially built for our fellow developers is we give you what we call like a treble uh, score of the API. The 10 commandments that I wrote uh, are actually something that we wrote in code first. So we check every single API request uh, amongst uh, to see if they kind of follow some of the best practices and we give you an overall score of your API so you know if your developers did a good job or not. That is really awesome. So if you are developing an API or your developers are developing an API, whether it's internal, whether it's external, um, whether it's for your mobile app, for your desktop application, if you're using React or something like that, chances are very big that that talks to an API. And you're hearing things like, what is it? I don't know what that person sent. I don't know what... Uh, I don't know why that isn't working. Uh, exactly. I don't know what happened. I don't, know, what, I, I don't know how meeting. many requests. Yep. I don't know why that's low. That was my favorite one. Like probably like 50% of my uh, questions before Treble were, why is this so slow? Is it the app or is it the API? Now we tell you exactly uh, how fast the API is, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're not sure if your API is done well enough, then uh, I guess you should give Treble a try because it uh, it will help you with all of these things. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. So, Veteran, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining how that works. Um, where can we find more about you and, of course, especially Treble? So you can always visit our website, treble.com, and we're all That's on with all two social. L's, right? T-R-E-B-L-L-E.com. We are on all social networks, I believe, except Facebook. Uh, so LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, all the major like uh, developer-friendly networks like dev.to, Stack Overflow, Indie Hackers, Hacker Noon. So all of these communities. And uh, of course, my favorite is Reddit. Uh, so we have like this uh, Reddit board there uh, called Developing APIs. If you're developing, building APIs in any shape or form, join us there. We like to talk. Uh, everything from the way we build APIs to, you know, how we crash them. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure and really helpful. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Victor. It's always a pleasure to talk somebody uh, with somebody who's as technical and understands the, some of the pain points that we've tried to solve. So really, thank you. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.